in our school, in the ordinary mind Zen school, um, it's non-denominational. We don't necessarily identify as a religious organization. One can be, one can identify as a Buddhist or not, or one can identify as a Christian or not, or any particular religious faith. Or one can identify as an atheist. It doesn't really matter. <clears throat> and, um, but, but the word Dharma, of course, in traditional Buddhism refers to the, the collection of teachings, starting with the... Um, I mean, we'll never know exactly what the historical Shakyamuni Buddha um, said because um, we only have uh, recordings of what he said by people who eventually wrote down his words quite a few hundred years, a couple hundred years later. Um, there's no, uh, I didn't have these things in those days. So, um, uh, and um, so we've got all this collection of, um, you know, of Buddhist uh, scriptures, and then there's the whole, um, you know, historical tradition of Zen Buddhism, starting in China and Japan, and countless teachers down the through the lineage of Zen teachers who have left their recorded sayings and stories behind, which are a very important part of the Zen tradition. And then we have the, this, this ongoing um, collection of um, teachings from, from Zen teachers. But um, um, it's also, you know, perfectly fine to include any, any sort of um, expression uh, of, uh, of knowledge or art into a Zen talk. Uh, one doesn't have to stay within the particular tradition. So it's kind of like getting a balance between um, saying something about Dharma or Zen and uh, also keeping it uh, from the heart to a, to a certain extent, being personal and giving it. So it's not meant to be like a, a university lecture. Um, and similarly, it's not just um, Zen teachers who can give talks. Um, Zen uh, students at uh, some stage in their practice, when they're ready, will be also encouraged to give talks. And uh, when we get round to it, I will be encouraging you to give a talk at some point. <laughs> it's, it's a really, it's a really uh, nice practice to, um, to try and uh, express one's um, uh, heart-mind in, 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 in a talk. Um, uh, facing all the, the possible uh, anxieties that we have when t speaking in public. And, um, and it's lovely, we've got um, you know, Russell here today, and Russell's been a, a student of a, a different tradition for many, many years, um, uh, Vedanta, uh, in the and uh, at some point I'll be inviting Russell, if he still wants to, to give a, give a talk on, the, uh, yeah, sure. on that yeah. as well. So, so it's not just going to be me who talks all the time. <laughs> um, but, um, it was, uh, so I was, um, it's, um, I, I decided to give today's talk on, <laughs> on the topic of death <laughs> and uh, rebirth. Um, the, the, the question of clarifying this important matter of life and death is probably the central, central question in the Zen tradition. 
which is very closely associated with the, uh, the question, who am I? Um, to some extent, the question of uh, clarifying uh, life and death, uh, if we can clarify that, we can probably clarify that question of who am I? And um, it's in, and it's uh, and it's a very important that this is something that only we can do. Um, only you can do this. Um, this isn't uh, the practice of Zen is um, and um, meeting whatever it is we meet in our practice. Um, we can only do that on our own to a certain extent. Um, in the same way that I can't experience what it's like to be Gavin, and Gavin can't experience what it's like to be Andrew, um, in the same way we all have to come to our own personal realization of these questions. The poem we were just reciting, um, Faith in Mind, is a good way of putting it. Um, in, uh, in Zen practice, when we speak of faith, we don't, we're not speaking uh, in this quite the same way in which it's probably used in the Christian tradition. It's not a sense of hope, or it's not a sense of faith uh, in something we believe in. The, the, the faith has to come from that direct knowing. Um, so faith in mind is about really experiencing mind, with a capital M when he talks about returning to our original nature, uh, you have to have your own experience of returning to your original nature. When we talk about this ultimate reality, retaining neither self nor other, we need to have our own realization of that. And, um, and this is something which is, um, I guess, uh, part of the Zen tradition is part of the intimate relationship between teacher and student as well, as we come to clarify that together. And the other important question of Zen too, which, which is very closely related to the clarifying life and death and clarifying who am I, and then is um, how, how to live our best possible life. Um, and um, that, that, that question is not just a Zen question, that's a really important human question that's been asked by many different traditions of how to live a, a good life. What's the best possible way to live? There's a, uh, a Buddhist meditation inquiry question uh, which um, Steve Batchelor talks about in, in his book Buddhism Beyond Belief called Since Death Alone is Certain and the Time of Death is Uncertain, What Should I Do? And uh, so, how we, how we live our life, our values, and uh, it's very, it comes back down to how we answer these questions experientially. It's very um, uh, common in the Zen tradition that um, teachers would have had uh, experiences of often of, of loss and grief at a very early stage in their lives. Uh, for example, um, Dogen, the great 13th century Zen master that I've mentioned a number of times before, 
lost his father when he was about two years old and his mother when he was about eight. And um, often these early experiences of, of loss, uh, especially of a, a loved one, um, really highlights these, uh, this, the, the, the intensity of this question and uh, the importance of clarifying it. And um, this, 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 the impact of these losses really bring home to us really in a, in, in a, in a really profound way of the, the, the impermanence of, of life. And um, as, as we've discussed before, I mean, the two things that are central to Zen Buddhist belief uh, um, is this notion of um, transience and impermanence of life and also the, the lack of um, permanent self as well which is a really key point in, in considering this question of uh, death and rebirth. When I was um, I know many of you here have, um, well, you speak to any, any, any person, any friend, well, we were, all, we were, everyone at some point in their lives are going to lose someone, a loved one, whether it's a parent, whether it's a, um, a partner, whether it's a child, um, we, or a friend. It's unescapable. Can't be escaped. And, um, I was quite fortunate in my life. I, I um, kind of really started to only come unstuck in when I was about, uh, well, in my late teens, really. <laughs> um, I think my childhood was pretty, pretty, pretty nice. Um, and um, I guess my first experience of that was um, when I uh, first went to university when I was 19. and. Um, I was um, um, down at uh, Canberra at University of ANU. And it was only I uh, started um, a friend, became a relationship with a young woman, and um, and it was uh, just before the uh, the Easter break, and um, just before the Easter break, I we had an argument, and uh, <coughs> I, I said some pretty uh, um, unkind words to her and um, went home to uh, my, my parents in Wollongong for the holidays. When I, when I, when I, when I returned a few days later, um, I was living in a college on the campus and um, this guy came running up and um, said, Andrew, my God, you're alive. We weren't, we, weren't, we weren't quite sure where you were. And um, I found out that the, uh, the young woman, that uh, my friend, had uh, died in a car crash and uh, they thought I might have been in the car. Um, and um, I'm still not sure whether it was an accident or whether it was intentional. She was in a very, I know she was in a fairly depressed state of mind at the time, but maybe it was just an accident and she went into a tree. And um, 
that was my first experience of uh, losing someone and, um, and of course it was a bit complicated by having said some unkind words to her and uh, <clears throat> I was able to go along to the funeral and, and say some words and uh, I uh, that, that yeah, ended up dropping out of university and um, a whole lot of things came from that and I think that that was a significant point in my life which uh, where you know at a certain point we when these things happen uh, we try and we, we, we know that um, you know, a great job and a great car and a lovely house is not necessarily going to answer our questions for us. And um, it was funny when I, um, uh, um, Gareth uh, came this morning, um, I'd already decided to give this talk on death and he, um, Gareth's father, you know, passed away fairly recently. It was about a few, how long ago was it now? Um, end of May. End of May. And um, it was, um, Gareth's been on, you know, on his journey of being with his father just before he died. And there were some beautiful shared moments. And, uh, and then, uh, he gently slipped away, and um, and uh, how 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 we you know so we have these questions um, you know what happens after we die and um, is there anything that continues after we die and you know. Again, to quote Stephen Batchelor, he talks, he says, religions are united um, not by belief in God, uh, but by belief in life after death. Um, he, state, he states it like that because in, in Stephen Batchelor's work, he actually puts forward a secular Buddhism. Uh, now, um, so the... It, it, as I said before, we don't quite, we don't really know, we can never really know what the historical Shakyamuni Buddha did say. But um, it, it is fair to say, but there are, you know, there are different viewpoints on this, but it's fair to say that the, if you read the, uh, the teachings in the various Buddhist traditions, most of them teach the some sense of reincarnation. And, um, but this was a, uh, a very, this was the paradigm of, of, uh, that the, uh, the historical Buddha was born into, the Indian culture of the time. And in Asian culture still, the sense of, this sense of um, karma and karmic sort of, re, uh, the sense in which depending on the, the life we lead in this life, we get uh, reborn into another life. Um, and so on, the cycle continues. But of course, in the in that traditional Asian paradigm, the the quest is actually to actually find some way out of that endless cycle of rebirth, which is called sansara. And um, whereas uh, 
often um, people can find some, some solace in the sense of there being an afterlife or some sense of reincarnation. Um, ultimately, of course, I mean, you, we, have to, we have to form our own uh, realization about this, our own understanding about it, because um, I think it makes um, a great difference to how we experience uh, our lives. Um, for me personally, I've, I've struggled and I have a great deal of difficulty with the concept of um, rebirth in another life. Um, for one, on a for sort of philosophical, scientific, logical point of view, um, you know, uh, Buddhism teaches that there is nothing permanent and uh, there is no fixed self. Uh, we can check this out through our own practice um, and uh, everything is constantly changing, thoughts, feelings uh, and um, identity. Um, you know, this question, who am I, you know, you can strip everything back, you know, your occupation, your gender, you know, your ethnicity, but you strip all of that back, who am I? These things are constantly are contingent and changing all the time. Um, and um, and so in, in some ways so it, uh, the, 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 uh, if, uh, if we're teaching there it's actually there is no thing in the universe that's permanent. Um, it's just one flux, one flow. Um, so uh, given all of that, I mean how, how can we reconcile that viewpoint with the notion of something being reborn? Buddhists do that. They have various theories about that. Um, it could be like some sense of habits being reborn to another life, uh, or some sense, some notion of consciousness that store consciousness that is that is passed on. Um, but from a from a um, intuitive point of view, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, um, I think for me. The fact that there, there is an end to this personality called Andrew, there is an end to this life, there is an ending to everything, uh, to me adds that sense of preciousness uh, to uh, our, our, our lives. And um, the fact that you know, there's lots of metaphors in Buddhism, you know, that are used to describe this, the, the dew that quickly dissipates in the morning, um, the clouds, you know, the, the, the waterfalls, um, the, the, the cherry blossoms, the seasons. Um, there's a, um, one of um, the Zen teacher Dogen's quotes uh, on this is, um, just as firewood does not revert to firewood, once it burns to ash, so a person does not return to life after death. Uh, <clears throat> so the sense is each, each, each moment is unique and uh, precious. So, um, rebirth to me is more about rebirth in this life. Um, 
how we are reborn and we're changing moment by moment. And, um, and um, how the, our practice uh, and our intentions will shape each moment, how we experience ourselves and our relationships and the interconnection of everything. And um, so when, for me, when someone dies, um, what also gets reborn or passed on is the kind of, the essence of that person, not in the sense of a permanent identity, but how that person, what the person meant to us, how they live their life and how, how that spirit continues. Um, I'm just going to give a little, um, I, um, a friend of mine passed away um, just, just, just over a year ago. Um, his name was Mark Porrier. Uh, he was a, um, another teacher in the Ordinary Mind School. Um, he gave me this little vase over here when I left New York. Uh, he knew he had difficulty, he had leukemia uh, and uh, had a number of different treatments. He knew at one point he wasn't, he probably knew he wasn't going to live till he was 100. But I think he felt he was going to live a bit longer than he did. But um, he used to, when I uh, stayed in New York for three months at the Zendo, um, he used to always come and um, he'd always bring some wild flowers with him because um, he would always come to the Zendo and he'd always put the flowers in the vase. So when I, when I was there, that was my job to prepare the Zendo. And so he'd come and he'd give me the, the flowers and I would put the flowers in the vase. And uh, so um, every time, you know, we sit marks with us and uh, symbolized by that vase. And, and uh, when my teacher, Barry Majid, gave the it's traditional to do like a memorial service after a year. And um, these were Barry's words about how Barry expressed this uh, notion of a more secular notion of rebirth, if you like. Um, so, you know, one year ago, my friend and Dharma Herb, Mark, passed away. And uh, he went on to talk about how, you know, in Asian cultures, there's often this notion of you know, reincarnation. But uh, we mark the passage of our friend from life into memory. The transmutation of our grief and loss into acceptance. And his rebirth in our hearts and minds as a model for kindness, humor, practice, and dedication to the good of others. Live long, the Mark. So that sense in which Mark lives on in our hearts and minds. Very, I'm sure, um, in the same way that um, Garrett's father lives on in your heart and mind and the, the people that were influenced by him. Um, and how we all can be conscious of that as we, as we move uh, into older age, <laughs> into young old age. Um, how the lives that we lead, uh, we model 
how to live a life to our family, to our friends, to the community. And um, it's traditional in, uh, in Zen practice, I was mentioning this to Gareth, that uh, often uh, Zen teachers would have an intim- intimation of death approaching. And uh, it's traditional to uh, write your own death poem. I highly recommend it. I think it's probably a good idea that um, just before you die, write your last poem. And um, this was one written by uh, Uchiyama, a very famous Soto Zen teacher in Japan. As an old man, I have my own practice. It is different from that of youth. It is not working facing outward, but just facing inward gazing at myself. Unlike the clouds that disappear into the expansive sky, I too will disappear quietly. So what is this expansive sky that we disappear into? Um, The word for sky is often very, very close. The meaning of the word sky is very close to the meaning of the word uh, that represents uh, emptiness or boundlessness in Zen practice. Very, very important point of Zen practice um, is the notion that um, all of our differentiation and difference um, comes from the source of emptiness and boundlessness. Um, and um, Zen practice can actually be, it's almost like there's three steps in it, three stages of meditation. Um, captured by Dogen in a very famous um, piece of writing called the Genjo Koan, or Realizing the Fundamental Point. And there's, there's three steps he talks about. Uh, firstly, you know, when all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, there is dis- delusion and realization. Practice, life and death, Buddhas and living beings. That's kind of like the first stage of practice. We start to practice because various ways we might be suffering, in various ways we feel separate, in various ways we want to realize something we feel we haven't got. And... Uh, I want, you know, I, want, I want this enlightenment stuff, you know, I want to be Buddha. This, and um, so there is this sense in which I'm, I'm caught in suffering, I'm caught in delusion, and I, I want to reach enlightenment. And uh, so that's the first stage of practice, and that's where we're caught in the sense of a separate self. We experience ourselves so as our ego self in that way. Uh, and the next, you know, whether it's gradual or whether you have some sudden realizations of this or a combination of both, there's a certain second stage that develops. And uh, he expresses it like this uh, When the 10,000 dharmas or the 10,000 things in the universe um, uh, are without fixed self, there is no delusion, there is no realization. There are no Buddhas, no living beings, no birth, and no death. So in the first stage, there is birth and death. We experience that. In this realization of oneness or of emptiness or of boundlessness, in that realization, there is no separateness. 
this is what often referred to in Zen as the, the unborn and the undying, the sense in which that which we're never separate from, but we feel that we're separate from, but we're never separate. Once we have a sort of a sense of that, a realization of that, that um, and when we're just when we're just doing our Zazen practice and we're just just being that sounds just passing through us. You can get that really intimation of that. Who is that? Who is hearing? And uh, that sense of consciousness as being not just limited to this body mind, but we're participating in that universal consciousness that is never born and never dies because it's eternal. So here now. So that's the second stage of practice. And the third stage of practice, he, he describes like this way. Since the Buddha way by nature goes beyond the dichotomy of abundance and deficiency, there is arising and perishing, delusion and realization, living beings and Buddhas. So the third stage of practice is kind of like the synthesis of the first two. So we come back, we have this realization now different ways of, of the unity, of the universality of mind or consciousness. But then, of course, we come back to living out our lives as human beings, where we, we experience it ourselves as having a certain identity. We know that this certain identity is going to die one day. But we also bring an awareness of the emptiness, the, the universality of the universal mind into our lives so that um, we're able to both express singularity and, and difference, oneness and many, the many, each, as, as the poem said, um, um, In this non-dual world, all is one, nothing left out. One thing is everything, and all things are one. So we can appreciate the uniqueness and preciousness of our of every of every life. And at the same time, we we also we can also let go and. Uh, and feel the freedom of that boundlessness that we truly are. And bringing that into our everyday practice is the challenge. And um, one of the things that differentiates, I guess, maybe Zen from some other traditions is that the importance it places on practice to, to try and keep a, a, a practice of sitting going every, every day so that we come and we sit and we touch on that heart-mind all the time, so we can realize it in the way in which we wash the dishes, in the way in which we talk to our partner, in the way in which we go about our work in the community, in the way in which we relate to the trees. Um, so I'd just like to finish. Um, there is a uh, a verse that's often said at the end of a um, 
a day of Zen practice on a retreat, like a full day, usually stayed at night time. At the end of the day, it goes like this. Time flies faster than an arrow. Life disappears like dew on the grass. Emptied in an instant, vanished in a flash. Let each of us strive to awaken. Be awake. Do not squander this precious life. Thank you. Thank you.